guys to drop by. It's a trap. Julie, get us out of here. We would be honored if you would join us. Charming to the last. This time you have gone too far. I got a bad feeling about this. Hello, what have we here? Red 5 standing by. This is our rescue. You must fear the force around you. I don't know what you're talking about. I am a Jedi. Like my father before me. I like the sound of that. Welcome to Dead Bothan Spies, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and in a couple of minutes, I'll be joined, once again, by Kyle Benning from the podcast King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. What are we going to talk about? Well, it's a topic I've wanted to cover since this podcast began way back in January, and it's a topic that Kyle and I talked about discussing four months ago, and this is the Star Wars series Tales of the Jedi, published by Dark Horse Comics. Tales of the Jedi began in 1993 as a five-issue limited series that sort of spun out of Dark Empire, Dark Horse's first major comic book miniseries for Star Wars. After that, Tales of the Jedi continued in a series of, well, miniseries for a total of 34 issues published between 1993 and 1998. The entire series was set between 6 and 4,000 years before the adventures of Luke Skywalker and his friends, at a time when the Galactic Republic was young and the Jedi Knights were strong. The first major saga followed the rise and fall of a group of Jedi heroes and explored the mysteries of the dark side of the Force, culminating in the Great Sith War. Later stories in the series would backtrack to reveal the origins of the Sith. Now, if you've been listening to recent episodes of this podcast, you've heard me complain about the role of the Sith in the Star Wars films and Expanded Universe. I've also complained that the Jedi became overexposed and definitely overpowered in a lot of the Star Wars fiction that came out during this era, and, you know, since... I ought to hate this series for its emphasis on aspects of the Star Wars mythos that I find problematic at best, but I don't hate it. I didn't hate it back in the 90s when I first read it. This was one of my regular Star Wars fixes. I read Tales of the Jedi to get more stories about the Force, and I read X-Wing Rogue Squadron to get more stories about space battles. It's been a while since I've read this series, though. There are things that I remember vividly and fondly, and there's a lot of stuff that I expect to surprise me when I turn the page. If you read the series, I hope you have a good time revisiting it with Kyle and I. And if you've never read Tales of the Jedi, then come with us to a galaxy far, far away and a time even longer ago. Okay, that sounds dumb as shit. Star Wars Tales of the Jedi Issue 1 was published by Dark Horse Comics and came out on October 19, 1993. Issue 2 came out on November 16th that same year. Both issues sported beautiful painted covers by Dave Dorman and a $2.50 price tag. And if you listen closely, you can hear Professor Allen choking right now. That's ten comic books. <laughs> this two-part story arc was written by Tom Veach, penciled by Chris Gossett, inked by Mike Barrero, colored by Pamela Rambo, and lettered by Willie Schubert. 
Kyle, can you give us the opening crawl from issue one? Yeah. Ulick Keldroma and the Beast Wars of Onderon. Millennia ago, the discovery of hyperspace travel brought the galaxy together, giving birth to a democratic union of star systems known as the Galactic Republic. From the time of its inception, the Republic grew over thousands of years to encompass vast numbers of inhabited worlds. The survival of the Republic depended on two factors, the wise governing of selfless administrators and lawmakers, and the preservation of harmony and justice by a heroic warrior fraternity, the Jedi Knights. In those glorious ancient days, a great many Force-sensitive individuals willingly entered arduous training under accomplished Jedi Masters, taking up the weapons, the knowledge, and the powers of the Jedi Way. Join us now as we explore the secret histories recorded in the Jedi Holocron, tales of an age when the Jedi Knights were numerous and strong. 4,000 years before Luke Skywalker destroyed the Death Star, Jedi Master Arka Jeth has created a small training camp on the planet Arcania. His three students are the humans Ulik Keldroma and his brother Kay, and the Twi'lek Tat Danita. Master Arka tells the three Jedi trainees the history of Onderon, a planetary system named for its one habitable world. The planet has three moons, one of which has an atmosphere and some crazy orbital patterns. Long, long ago, that moon, called Daksun, came close enough to share atmospheres with Onderon. During this period, the wild, savage, and monstrous beasts of Daksun migrated to Onderon and began preying upon the human inhabitants. To defend themselves from the beast, the people of Onderon built a giant wall around their fledgling civilization. As more time passed, the walled city of Iziz became one massive fortress housing the millions of Onderonian humans. Concurrently with the growth of Iziz, the Onderonians began the practice of exiling their criminals to the wilderness outside the walls. For a while, the exiles made easy prey for the beasts, but over time, the outcasts captured and tamed some of the savage monsters. The outcasts eventually formed armies and used their monstrous mounts to attack Izzes in what has become known as the Beast Wars. Master Arca concludes his story by announcing the Galactic Republic has named him Watchman of the Onderon system and asked that a Jedi help resolve the Beast Wars. As their final test, Arca sends Ulik, Kay, and Tadanita to Onderon in his stead. The trio of young Jedi fly to Onderon in their ship, the Nebulan Ranger. Before landing at Iziz, the Nebulan Ranger is attacked by beast riders mounted on flying creatures. Ulik Keldroma refused to open fire on the attackers, as Master Arca sent them to bring peace to the world. The ship flies through the swarm of beasts, and the city's defenses turn the attackers away. When the Nebulan Ranger lands, the three Jedi are greeted by Novar, the Minister of State. The Onderonians have a powerful distrust of non-humans, though, and security guards almost arrest Tat Danita on sight before the Queen countermands the order. Ulik and the others are taken to the royal throne room of Queen Amanoa. While the Queen appears ancient, her lovely daughter Galia is an attractive, and presumably legal, 18. Suddenly, the flying beast riders who attack the Nebulan Ranger return, having exploited an unknown weakness in the city's defenses. They attack the royal throne, forcing the queen and her daughter to hide while the Jedi fight the beast riders. During the battle, a pair of beast commandos make their way effortlessly to the queen's chambers. Although the Jedi fight valiantly, the beast commandos manage to kidnap Princess Gallia. Ulik Keldroma swears to Queen Amanoa that the Jedi will rescue her daughter. But Kay and Tot suspect the situation is more complicated and more sinister than it seems. And that is where issue one ends. 
the first part of Ulic Keldroma and the Beast Wars of Onderon. And instead of diving into our uh, analysis, let's just go ahead and finish up this story arc. So, Kyle, you want to take over part two? Yep, we have the second crawl here, which says, 4,000 years before the time of Luke Skywalker, the Jedi Knights were the most powerful and respected force in the galaxy. In those days, a Jedi Master named Arca of Arcania sent three of his apprentices on a mission of peace and justice. The three young Jedi are Ulic Keldroma, his brother Kay Keldroma, and the Twi'lek Tat Danita. Aboard their ship, the Nebulon Ranger, they cross the vastness of hyperspace to an untamed world called Onderon. As the three Jedi Knights meet with Queen Aminoa, ruler of Aziz, the Beast Lords stage an unexpected attack on the Royal Citadel, and the Queen's daughter Gallia is kidnapped. Overriding the misgivings of his companions, Ulic Keldroma decides to pursue the abductors. As the Nebulon Ranger takes to the skies over Andoran's wild forest, a seeker torpedo, fired from the ground, finds its target. All right, and then the plot summary for issue two here, which I took from the Star Wars Wikia. Ulic and Kay Keldroma and Tat Donita crash land in the Onderon Wildlands, and after taming some native Bomas, head to the Beast Lord Mandun Kira's citadel, where Gallia is in the middle of being married to Modon's son, Orin. Ulic attempts to rescue her, but she claims she wants to be married to Orin. Modon settles things down and schedules a wedding banquet to discuss things with the three Jedi. Orin explains that 400 years ago, a dark Jedi named Freedon Nad became king of Onderon, beginning a long line of darkness in the Aziz royalty. The Jedi, Gallia and Orin, head back to Aziz to convince Queen Aminoa to end this war, but she sends them away using ancient Sith magic. The peaceful solution having failed, Modon Kira gathers the Beast Lords from across Onderon to attack Aziz. Meanwhile, Kay Keldroma has his arm cut off by Aminoa's royal guard, and Aminoa herself heads deep down below the palace to the tomb of Freedon Nad. Ulic carries his brother into a dark corridor, where Kay detaches a droid's arm and takes it as his own. High above Aziz, Jedi Master Arka Jeth uses his battle meditation to turn the tide of the battle, bringing victory to the Beast Riders. Ulic, Kay, Tot, Arka, Gala, and Orin go down into the mausoleum of Frito Nad, where Aminoa is instantly killed by the light given off by Master Arka. Princess Gallia soon marries Orin Kira, ending the Beast Wars of Andoran, as well as Aziz's 400-year reign of darkness. Okay, uh, we're going to get through a few things here, but first, the title, Ulic Keldroma, or Ulic, depending on how it's pronounced, Ulic Keldroma and the Beast Wars of Onderon. I freaking love this title. Yes. <laughs> it's so... It's so old-fashioned, but it's so, like, all sorts of fantasy, everything you love. Like That is like a headline right out of, like, a Conan, a Conan pulp tale from ex- Weird Tales back in the 30s. Exactly, and I swear, this is what I wanted, like, Star Wars Episode One to be called. Like, something crazy like this that would just let you know exactly what you're in for. I wish that would have been called, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Beast Wars of Onderon or something like that. You could have taken this story. Yeah, that would have been cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. Names that I don't like so much, Frieden Nad. <laughs> it's, yeah. Beca- I, it's almost like freedom. They just change one last letter. And it's the same as the first letter of the next name, so they kind of allied. And it's just this – it's a hard name to say because when you say it, you think you're mispronouncing something. And it's just – no, that's that's a name that might look good when you're writing it on a typewriter or computer. 
But when you actually say that aloud, it's like, no, that's a stupid name, Frieden Nad. Ah, it, no, it's it, a dumb it name. It gets worse. Just wait till we get to the Frieden Nad uprising. Ah, uh, yeah, we will. It, it'll, yes. <laughs> yeah. And for then we have to say it. Uh, your thoughts on the story? I absolutely love this one. This just hits me in all the feel goods. It's you dive right in. Uh, the Force elements are mysterious. You kind of, whoa, these are kind of tribal Jedi. Um, it very much invokes kind of that pulp adventure swashbuckler feel with, you know, going against kind of these dark, ominous forces. I mean, it just very much kind of reminds me of a Conan story or mm-hmm. kind of like a Masters of the Universe mini comic story. Um, from yeah. How dark it is. And what's really funny, I guess, looking at the art is it's very well rendered. So, or rendered. Everything is very well in proportion. So uh, keep that in mind when I say it looks very stereotypical of 90s. <laughs> Part of that's the coloring. But um, many of these guys' outfits, which are actually fitting for the story, they really kind of invoke almost like a samurai look with like their wrist gauntlets and kind of shoulder pad armor. That actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it actually makes sense here, but it very much reminds you of some of the supporting characters of like the X-Force comic as far as their costume designs. Whereas it didn't make sense in that, it, it does make sense here. Obviously, much better, well-rendered than the Marvel's 90s house style. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, some of these are just – the pages are just so fun to look at. It's like samurai warriors meet dino riders. I mean, you got guys riding on essentially pterodactyls that have triceratops heads. <laughs> it's so good. It's, so, and it, it's something that immediately – it's like – we think we – because Star Wars is so inclusive for all of these different ideas. Like it, it might not be the first thing you think of, but no, there were plenty of times when like people were riding animals in Star Wars. Like the sand people riding banthas, the stormtroopers riding dewbacks, the rebels riding tauntauns. Like there were all these examples in the movies of people like domesticating these – crazy, foreign, larger-than-life monstrous animals. And it's like, yeah, this works. And it works for this story that is set in a more primitive time and a primitive place. Yeah, definitely. Kay Caldroma really kind of reminds me of Longshot with a uh, Magneto Acolyte uh, headset. (laughs) (laughs) So we get get four Jedi in this story, sort of the three apprentices, and it's really clear from the get-go who these people are, what their personality types are. And yeah. you, you contrast that with some of the Jedi from the, the prequel films and the Clone Wars, and you see instantly... Uh, well, before we even... like A reader from somebody who had read Dark Empire would have had a little bit of foreknowledge who Ulic Keldroma is. In fact, they would have known a lot more. It was teased in the back matter for Dark Empire number 5, was that? Yep. Yeah, in the that was his first appearance. Yeah, then Tom Beach sort of explained this sort of story of Ulic Keldroma, who was this fallen Jedi 4,000 years ago. And this whole story was kind of chronicled to Leia through the holocron of how Ulic, you know, decided to investigate this dark and sinister society called the Krath um, that was practicing the dark side and how he was going to root out this this corruption inside this society and destroy it from within and how everybody said this was the wrong thing to do everybody thought this was a mistake but he was going to do it because he was headstrong and he was arrogant 
and then nobody saw him for a year, and the next time they saw him, he had completely fallen to the dark side. And this was just a, a footnote, a text piece in the back of an issue of Dark Empire. Yeah, so how those books worked is very similar thing. Post-Return of the Jedi, the Emperor, is it in the first one already? He's cloned, right? He's come back, he's cloned. Or is that not till the second one? Is that how the first book ends? It might be. God, they're just bleeding together. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the remnants of the Empire have gathered again on Coruscant, and that is a almost like the, the cave in Dagobah, kind of a housing or area where the dark side is strong. And there's kind of this space hurricane thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, Luke follows back to this uh, center, and he's intent on destroying the remnants of the Empire once and for all and destroying the Sith and a stronghold. And so he goes to, I think it's got to be the first one, the first series, at least, right? It's not Dark Empire 2, the we had the clone of the Empire. No, no, no. He was definitely in the first one. Okay, yeah. Because then Luke goes there. He's going to destroy this Emperor clone. And Leia goes after him. And then she finds the Jedi holocron that the clone of the Emperor has, right? And she takes it back with her. Yeah. And she starts exploring it. And the, the holocron is telling her all the tales of these past Jedi, which is then what spins this miniseries, this first two-parter out of the, the five issues. And then the, the ongoing set of miniseries are all stories that are contained within that holocron then. Mm-hmm. And so that really set the stage for that. So, yeah, obviously uh, there's some symmetry there as Luke is essentially trying to do the, the same thing Caldroma uh, did uh, mm-hmm. eventually further down in his uh, storyline. And Leia is trying to stop him from making that same mistake. So, I mean, there you had some connection between two of the, the Dark Horse titles. But, again, like we had talked in a, another episode, there was still a wide variety of almost genres or tones that Dark Horse was putting out that you could explore. You could describe it as like 33 issues all to explain, like all kind of hidden in this holocron that explains why Leia was afraid that Luke would fall to the dark side when he joined the Emperor. Yeah. So yep. it's, all, it's all like this this really deep backstory that they're just like, hey, you know what, that's kind of interesting, let's explore that, so... Um, so they do, and that leads to when we first meet Ulick on the first page, he is described in the same way, in the same words as being headstrong and arrogant. Um, we see him training. He's strong, but he's cocky. He's, he's confident. He's, you know, he's sure of himself. We know who this guy is. And then we see his brother Kay, who is much more technical minded right from the beginning. He's he's a Jedi Knight. He's he's almost as skilled as his brother, but he's much more focused on these electronics. He's he's taking apart droids and stuff. It's clear. It's right from the beginning. It's like okay, this is how these two brothers are different. We never saw how Obi Wan and Anakin were that different. We never saw how Qui Gon was different. We didn't get these like these simple basic character traits. No, we get one-off lines, and then that's never really explained or shown on screen. Mm-hmm. We get a exposition piece that tells us this character doesn't like this, right. and yeah, the, between these first two stories or these first two issues here that make up this first story, there's so much more plot and character development than what we see in the first movie. I would have much rather seen this adapted, like you said, into Obi Wan and the Beasts of Andoran or something mm-hmm. like that. We do get some exploration of the dark side. We hear this guy Frida Nad has basically created like just has like fostered this long lineage of the dark side and the sith in this place 
and it has corrupted the queen, Amanoa, for however long she's been alive. And this crazy thing happens by the end of the story, that the mere presence of a light side Jedi, of, of Master Arca's power, just when he walks in the room, she can't take it. Yep. If Yoda had gone to the second Death Star and been in the same room as Palpatine, would the Emperor have just crumbled? He would have had that uh, opening the Ark of the Covenant moment <laughs> in the throne room. That's, that seems to be what it looks like. I don't know how I feel about that. I, on one hand, I didn't need another lightsaber battle because we, we get enough of those like in every other story. But it felt a little anticlimactic. Yeah, it kind of did. Um, but it, I don't know, it was also just so much different uh, for me, I guess. I mean, it kind of harkened back to along the lines of Yoda is this guy is so powerful. He's moved beyond wielding a lightsaber mm-hmm. as his conduit of power. His, his body is a living weapon with the Force. He's like the Bruce Lee of the Force. <laughs> the art is very much of its time, but like looking at these, these costume designs... They're not wearing the same drab brown robes. They do have these like padding and shoulder pads, but it, you're right. It looks it's reminiscent of like feudal Japanese armor. That makes sense with what this idea is about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely invokes some of that style of the yeah, other high selling books at the time, but it's so much more well rendered in each character, and you know, even the the armed forces have you know features that uh, distinguish them, that mm-hmm. make them look unique, and they really pop off the page. I remember the first time I read this really, really liking Tot Danita, their, their Twi'lek buddy. Um, for one thing, like I liked the fact that he has this sort of communion with the animals, that he's the one who's able to sort of subdue the, the Boma, these beasts. Um, but also just because of the the association that I had with this this species, this race, was from Return of the Jedi, where we saw Bib Fortuna as Jabba's, you know, major domo, his stooge, and the the exotic dancer. I saw this alien species as kind of dark and sinister and bad, and now we've got one that looks the same, except he's a Jedi and he's noble, and he's cautious and he's thoughtful, and I was like, wow, that's. I was like, that's a really cool take that I didn't expect. It's also kind of neat to see the uh, a bit of the, the xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Just a, another added depth to this universe and this world that we just met, we've never heard of before. And, you know, we get a bit of the, the class struggle or the power struggle and even, you know, some of the social beliefs, I guess, of, of the ruling society. Other thoughts on this two-part story? Um, if you haven't read it, go uh, track it down. It's been out there. It's been uh, reprinted, which I believe is how uh, you read those stories mm. for this time. Well, I, I originally I originally read them in their single issues before they were collected. And uh, the first five issues, we mentioned this, the first five issues of Tales of the Jedi, which was at the time just called Tales of the Jedi, they were reprinted a couple of times. Those five issues were in a collection called, at first, just called Tales of the Jedi, The Collection. And then I think in subsequent reprintings, it was rebranded Tales of the Jedi, Knights of the Old Republic. 
which caused a little bit of confusion because shortly thereafter they released a video game called Knights of the Old Republic, yeah. which was not set in the same time period or with the same characters. And then the story was eventually collected in Dark Horse's Star Wars Omnibus, Tales of the Jedi, Volume 1, uh, which is what I'm currently looking at right here. I just, I like the purity of this two-part story. It's such a classic story. Yes, they're sent to broker this piece, and they realize that the side they thought they were working for was actually the bad side, and they have to they have to stand with the resistant, the exiles, the outcasts, that they're the ones that are really, truly heroic. You could adapt this into a movie, and it would be better than half of the Star Wars movies we've had so far. <laughs> uh, agreed. <laughs> I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. There's some interesting ads here. I'm just looking at uh, stuff in here. So, I mean, these were still in the fairly uh, infancy days of Dark Horse as we'd come to know it. So there's some talk about the new Legends line, which <laughs> would have been uh, launched by Art Adams, Frank Miller, uh, John Byrne, Paul Chadwick, Jeff Darrow, Dave Gibbons, and Mike Mignola. And so there's talk about that. We None of those ad. guys ever accomplished anything noteworthy. <laughs> nope. There's... Uh, in the in the first issue, there's an ad for the Dark Empire trade paperback. There's also a new trade paperback, classic Star Wars. Feast your eyes on the classic newspaper strips by writer Archie Goldwyn, Goodwin, excuse me, and artist Al Williamson. And these reformatted strips feature brand new art and are appearing completely in color for the first time. There's a Aliens vs. Predator Super Nintendo game, which was awesome. Holiday wish list, um, some other Dark Horse comics that were coming out. You ready for the top one on here? Luke Giaconetti's going to get all excited. <laughs> okay. God, Godzilla versus Charles Barkley. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> None of the other ones are really worth uh, mentioning. And then uh, in the second one, there's a Frank Millerson City ad for uh, A Dame to Kill For. Mm. Um, the all-new six-issue miniseries. It's a t-shirt featuring Marv and then a Sin City postcard collection. And then more talk of the uh, Legends line. Hmm. Thanks for digging those out. That's really cool. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, thank you for joining me on this uh, first real talk of Tales of the Jedi, Kyle. Where can people find you if they want to hear more from you in your comic reviews? Uh, if you go to my blog, which is King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Blogspot.com, that site is the kind of the home homepage for my podcast. There, I have four different podcasts all in the same feed, which are available on iTunes. If you just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. I talk about oversized comics, things like giant size, king size, 80-page giants, the pre-crisis, crisis on multiple Earths, crossovers between Earth 1 and Earth 2, talk about free comics like the special promos that are given away, and then I just talk about, uh, on my last show, Random Comic Showcase, just random comics, movies, and TV. And then I also am on the G.I. Joe Real American Headcast with Mr. Ryan Daly and... Aaron Moss, Yay. and we talk about the 80s uh, G.I. Joe series, so that's still in its infancy, but it's been a lot of fun so far. All right, well, thank you very much for being part of this episode, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to covering more issues of these Tales of the Jedi. I'm hoping our coverage of Tales of the Jedi will be a regular, probably monthly segment on Dead Bath and Spies. We'll cover more than one issue per segment, so part two will look at the saga of Nomi Sunrider from Tales of the Jedi issues 3, 4, and 5. Before I close out this episode, I wanted to mention a bit of Star Wars movie info. As you know, The Force Awakens is deep in post-production and will hit theaters in December. 
The first anthology film, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, is currently filming and will come out next December. And now, Star Wars Episode Eight begins shooting on Monday for a scheduled May 2017 release. That means, probably by the time you hear this, there will be three different Star Wars films in production. That's as historic as it is awesome. But if you need more sentimental fanboy context, this time, two years from now, we'll have seen three new Star Wars movies. Yeah. That's all for this episode of Dead Bath and Spies. I want to thank Kyle Benning for appearing on the show. Feedback can be left at the blog page, deadbothandspies.blogspot.com, or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadbothandspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes, and you can track me down on Twitter, at ryandaily01, or the username, Count Druncula. Dead Bath and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text is used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. And since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Today's selection from a guide to the Star Wars universe, Holocron. See Jedi Holocron. Oh, motherfucker.